Hi guys, thank you for joining Late Night with White. And today I'm thinking about trust. And realizing that I don't have a lot of it. Some people say that when they meet someone, they have full trust. And then as it's broken and eroded, the trust level depreciates. I feel like I'm on the opposite end where when I meet someone, whether it's romantically or as a friend or a professional, I have no trust. Like, none. And over time, as I get comfortable and we talk and engage and, you know, the give and take, the trust manifests itself. And so, of course, it leads me to think, well, why am I so untrusting? Especially when it comes to romance. And I don't have to go far. <clears throat> Bad first marriage ended terribly. Lots, lots, lots of broken trust. So, ergo, I'm, I'm very hesitant now to trust. Can't leave it there. Because when I think about myself as a younger person before I was married, I still didn't have a lot of trust. Very small circle of friends. Um, easy for me to walk away. Easy. Um, there's that song, you know, I'm good at goodbyes. That's me. That's me. And so lately, those of you who know me, long time know me, like 20 years know me, you know that I'm I'm endeavoring to be a better friend, like um, texting you more often, checking in more often, being present in a way that I have not in years. Those of you who know me. <laughs> and part of that is divorcing and looking at your small circle and saying to yourself, damn, I haven't cultivated that circle. I haven't been a good friend right I have not been a good friend somewhat there mostly not there mostly almost seemingly indifferent although when I love people it's till I die right so I had to say to myself okay I've got to be a better friend reach out more contact more be there be present and more importantly, not just let people walk out of my life, right? And the catalyst for this began when my mentor, Miss Jean Clemen, passed away. And I had no idea this person whom I loved. When I tell you I loved her, I loved her. Such a good person. And I was just so sure that I would see her again. I was so confident in it. And here I am calling her, not getting the answer. Finally called. We worked together. So I called the old job and said, hey, I'm trying to locate Miss Clemen. Have you heard? And the person had to tell me, well, she died. And she's been gone six months. How's that for a reckoning with the kind of person that I was? She'd been dead and buried six months. So, yeah, (laughs) I'm trying to do better. Um, 
And I know that my lack of trust comes from woundedness and brokenness. You know, I could do that cycle babble all day long, but it doesn't change the fact that I'm low on trust. Low on trust. And so I'm thinking today that I'm so thankful to everyone in my life who has kept pace with me, who hasn't taken it personally, who uh, have not let go of me, right? People who still take my calls, people I really want to hang out with still, people who, you know, have adult children, um, like I do and you know you're talking about long friendships and the fact that they're so long is a testament to the fact that you know we love each other and that I trust them but that trust means also uh showing up in in a real way for them right right so then we get to romance (laughs) and that is even more difficult for me of course, because like I said, the divorce and uh, the brokenness with that one person. But um, I think, okay, I, you know, when the person walks away, I'm going to put it this way. When they walk away, the trust goes with them. Like, I don't have any expectations of not being disappointed and not being let down um and I don't know how to change that I don't know how to rewire my brain so that when the person's with me right and we're having a great time that when they exit the door it's not like oh okay well okay but I don't see you again you know it was great there's part of me that's always willing to shut the door this part of me that's always willing to be done. And I mean done. Like ghost. Bye. Lose my number. And I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be like that. Even with a romantic partner. Because we're all human. And because. How can you fully articulate what trust is to you? That takes time. It takes time. I'm sipping my drink. And so for the man or woman, because there are men who are probably the same way out there, I'm sure. Like, when that woman leaves, he just assumes she's out there being unfaithful, um, leading a double life, lying, not checking the phone, you know, playing games. Um, And as direct as I am with people in my life, look, if you can't talk, just send me a text Say, hey, I can't talk right now. That goes a long way with me. When you leave it open, I'm assuming that you got my message. You're choosing not to answer. And then my response is a F you. You don't ever have to call me. Right? Because that's why you started with no trust. Not fair. <laughs> so if you've dealt with this, if you're out there listening, you've dealt with like zero trust. And all the damage that it does. Because now I realize, you know, being reflective that I've laid some landmines for people. I've been a villain. 
but it had to do with my lack of trust, right? And my unwillingness to be honest about that lack of trust. So, you don't want to carry old baggage. (laughs) It's like that that old quote, you know, um, you don't put new wine in old wineskins. They're going to burst, right? And you're going to lose all that precious wine, the harvest, the fruit of your hard labor, right? But who am I going to trust with my <laughs> with my wine? You know, who am I going to trust to put my wine into their wineskin to use to stretch a metaphor way beyond its capacity to hold? So that's what I was thinking about tonight, just building trust, maintaining trust, being open with the people who are attempting to love you and be in your life about like, okay, I consider this a breach of trust. Like we make plans and you cancel, you've lost some trust, right? If um, I feel unheard, um, unlistened to, you've lost trust. And the person on the other end doesn't know. They got busy or held up at work. Their car broke down. Um, life happens. Right? They don't know that I am saying to myself in the moment, okay, bye. Holla. See you later. And for me, it's a reset. When it's like, oh, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, you had to work late. Oh, your car broke down. Oh, okay. Same things that happened to me. And people who know me know I'm never on time for anything. I will cancel quite frequently. Um, I'm an introvert, so canceling is kind of like where I live. <laughs> Um, but they don't hold it against me. And I need to have that same level of forgiveness and trust that the person who is on the other end isn't being manipulative, mean, untrustworthy. They're just experiencing life. And it would be nice if I could chill and not, um, block them on my phone, delete all their messages, and refuse to engage like a four-year-old. But I also have to know both hands out. Like, you have to be able to articulate what's going on. Um, Because I'm not, my tolerance level for certain behaviors is very, very low. Fairly or not. So... Those are my thoughts for tonight. I would love to know how you guys have dealt with broken trust. How do you reset trust? How do you move on from um, the pain of someone um, having not been trustworthy? A friend, intimate partner, uh, a professional partner, because it happens at work too, right? You thought somebody was, you know, had your back and at the meeting it's clear that they don't, you're by yourself. So it's not just in romance. We're talking about um, in life. And how do we mend? How do we go on? How do we let people know 
where our fault lines are so that they're not walking in our minefield to such an extent that we find ourselves isolated and alone. So, that's where I am. (laughs) Hit the notes. Please email me. Um, Send me your comments and questions. They've been great. Um, I'm going to try to lower the music a little bit. I've had some complaints about the music kind of getting in the way of um, people who have uh, um, hearing difficulties. So, I I do want to... to mitigate that so I'm playing around with it making sure that the music's just kind of like uh in the background and not usurping the podcast as a whole so thank you for joining me this has been late night with white I hope you have a great night and please send me your comments bye all right so thank you guys if <clears throat> excuse me excuse me again sorry if you have listened to the podcast and you want to flee to go cook or meditate or go to bed please do so um i'm going to spend the next couple of minutes just answering some questions that i have received um i feel like i can't just let them uh sit and um not respond to them and not respond to them uh, on the podcast itself. So the first question that I got, um, it asked is um, from episode two. What happened after you asked them about their secret pain or joy? So I'm thinking they're 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 meaning after we had this conversation with the people I went to and asked these questions. What was the aftermath? And the aftermath was quite lovely. I mean, they told me quite honestly this is my and, and you know, these people I know it's not they weren't strangers um and so they're very honest and forthcoming and then we continue to have questions about like you know I've known you six years I would have never have guessed that um three years ago you were in a very dark dark place and had contemplated suicide um and the person was like, well, I wasn't keeping it from anyone. It's something I've dealt with my entire life. And here I am at a certain age. It's almost like the weather outside. So I believe what you're asking is how did this change those friendships? And it, it made them deeper. I mean, it made them much more um, complex and I appreciate and love those people who responded all the more because um, when someone articulates to you their joy, that's kind of easy, you know, oh, this makes me happy. I don't talk about it a lot, it makes me happy. But when someone is able to say, this is what hurts me, this is what I'm struggling with, however simple it may appear on the surface to them, it's a pain, um, then, you know, as a friend, my only option is to reach out to them with love and compassion and empathy. So, um, and then the next question was, um, regarding the episode higher ground, um, everything that rises must converge. The the question was, is convergence a goal? Is convergence a goal, a, a good goal? And I have to say, Convergence, just for the sake of convergence, no, that's not a good goal. 
because we've seen that in, in our society, right? When we had integration and we had African-Americans and um, marginalized kids going into white schools, the resistance that was uh, put up, you know, we're still dealing with fallout now. Those schools are, you know, pre- predominantly black schools are often substandard. Uh, white schools tend to be more well-funded. So, or maybe I should say the convergence needs to be fully articulated and fully understood and transitory and progressive. So I, I don't know in Flannery's mind what she was imagining as concrete convergence outside of her text. But for me, convergence is more um, an understanding of where other people are than it is everyone's standing on the same line. Then we kind of cross into Ayn Rhine char- you know, territory that is bleak and um, pessimistic and frightening, right? I think of convergence as a place where we all get to articulate what, you know, what a good life is for us and how this country can um, make that more material for more people, right? So I don't think of convergence as like some kind of stale equality, you know, like the giver where people don't stand color because that, that causes differences. No, difference is great. I don't know why we're so afraid of difference. Um, but it's the same thing with convergence. We're afraid of that as well because we feel like something gets eroded. I don't think so. I'm not going to give up my culture, my beliefs, my all the things that are intrinsic to myself. I'm not asking someone else to. I'm just asking that when I walk in the room, right, uh, I'm acknowledged as a full whole person with my own desires and goals. The same way I recognize that you, when you walk into a room, are a full person with your own desires and goals. And I don't think the two have to be necessarily contradictory. So, um, you know, Flannery's been gone a long time. Her issues and her personal views on race were very disheartening. You know? Um, and this is one of those moments where I have to look at the art and not the artist. The same way we do at Frost and with Elliot and a lot of problematic writers coming in the um, 20th century. Because the times were, there are some things that were just taken for granted, right? Um, and white supremacy was taken for granted. And now we're starting to dismantle that. So we don't know what the convergence is going to look like. It can't be as bad as the divergence. So segregation, you know, all those ugly Jim Crow things that came out of that. So um, that's my answers. And remember, guys, I'm an English major. (laughs) Which means... I love literature, but I have no authority on psychology, psychiatry, health and wellness. I can only speak from the personal. So I do want to put that disclaimer out that I am not in any way um, an authority on um, anything outside of literature. And even that can be argued, right? Even that can be dialogable. So, um, Thank you for hanging out for the Q&A sessions. Keep those questions coming. They do make me think. And hopefully they've made those of you who stuck around for this portion also think. Um, And that's the purpose. So if you're up late 
you might as well have a little morsel to consider as you put the covers over your head. Have a great night.